Morning, welcome. And let's start where we left off in verse 13. And as we go down through these, I want you to think how simple they are, and yet how many times we might miss this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him slug it out on his own. <laughs> but can't we? Don't we? Many times? And yet, the simplicity of the word says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Verse 14, either you don't know or I don't understand. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I don't know how many times you've been sick. I don't know if you've ever knew this was here. Now you know. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And Lord, would you bless, Lord, your word. Lord, that you'd speak to us. Our God, our creator, our Lord. Would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Today, it seems... Because of rising health care costs, everyone is looking for a job with benefits. And then there's vacation and sick pay and retirement. So benefits are a cool thing, but have you ever thought about the benefit package plan that God provides to all of his children who are trusting in Jesus for salvation? Well, today, there are a few of those benefits in our study today. The first one's right here in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? And we do. It's not uncommon for this to take place in our lives. It's going to happen. So what do you do, though, is the question. See, if we erase the chapters and verse numbers, this pushes all the way back to verse 13 in chapter 4 where they're running their own life and making their own decisions. And James says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, invite the Lord into all that stuff. Because if you don't, remember what he says, if you look back at verse 14 of the last chapter, if you don't, or in verse 15, I think, or 16, it's one of those. If you don't, it's arrogance and it's boasting. And so, and so it says here, hey, is anyone among you suffering? The command is, let him pray. Now, notice it does not say complain. Remember from last week, verse 9, don't grumble. Because when you grumble, you're actually grumbling against the Lord. So, so what do we do when we're suffering? Do we call a listening friend? Do we call the pastor? Do you talk to your spouse? Hey, do you buy a book on suffering? Hey, there's a lot of Christian books on suffering out there. Do you call the doctor? Now, look, if you're bleeding out, call 911, okay? 
Well, my pastor said, no, I did not. You call 911. However, our first response, according to the scriptures here when we're suffering, is to go to God. That's like instant automatic. Children understand that, in a sense. I mean, after all, he's our benefit provider. Why do I want to go out of network and get limited or no services? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Well, duh, pastor. That's like so obvious. Okay. How about your child, though, when they get a little scrape on their knee? That to you is like next to nothing, and they're just bugging you. Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And so you go get the Band-Aid, you put it on them, and send them away, thus making the Band-Aid the Savior instead of the Lord, instead of a little prayer with that Band-Aid. Or, or even in our own lives. I got this one, Lord. Man, this is, I'm just old age, so I'm just slugging it out. That's not what it says here. That's in the out-of-network benefit package. And yet we can become, well, to where we're not even ever thinking about asking the Lord to heal. But when we do that, we become more independent upon ourselves as opposed to being dependent upon our Lord Jesus Christ in our relationship. But that's just physical hurt suffering. There's other kinds of suffering. But do you turn to Jesus or you just suck it up and slug it out? I know God wants to stir us up about some of the most simplistic benefits that he has by reminding us this morning of these in-network benefits. Now, the reasons... In going to God in the midst of suffering, whether that be big or especially in the small things, they are numerous, with the greatest one being that our Lord can sympathize with us when we're suffering. He can. See, as I go to my Lord in the midst of suffering, I can ask for forgiveness, I can ask for wisdom, I can ask for hope, I can ask for healing, and most importantly, I can ask for peace to quiet the storm. In that 15-year journey of asking for peace in my life, when I would ask, it was instant. Lord, I need your peace. Boom, instant. But it'll never force us to go. Manasseh in the Old Testament, one of the kings of Israel, the Bible says he was the most vile, wicked of all kings. God had warned them that they should repent. They ignored all the warnings. The king of Assyria came, captured Manasseh, put hooks in his nose and in his lips, and led him away to Babylon. I don't think that sounds very exciting, but today they pay to have that done. So, you know, maybe he was just a hip king, you know. But, but now in the midst of his suffering, he came to his senses. And what does he do? Let me read it to you. And when he was in his affliction, this is an unsaved, lost, the most evil king of all Israel. Of course, he's been hauled away, hooks in his nose and lips, so he's not in a good place. God's got his attention. 
And when he was in affliction, he implored, he, he begged the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him, and God received his entreaty, his request, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into, the king, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Wow. But he brought that upon himself. Yeah, but God still answered when he turned to God. And why does God do all this? Because he prayed inside God. And, and that's why we want to turn and run to the Lord in the midst of suffering, even if we brought that suffering on in our first place. Certainly Jonah is another example of suffering he brought upon himself. When you go read that and you just let it read for itself, it says, after Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish vomit, it says, then he prayed. Now, I don't know about you, but when they're picking me up and throwing me overboard, I'd have been saying, Lord, forgive me. Three days and three nights in fish vomit? Wouldn't you think like when you get swallowed up, you'd like be calling out? Hey, God, I was an idiot. Forgive me. No, three days. Man, he was stubborn. But that's okay. God's more stubborn. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. He will, because he's our father. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, Sometimes suffering just comes upon us as part of our Christian walk. David is being faithful to King Saul as a servant, and yet Saul is determined to track him down and kill him. So what does David, the man after God's own heart, do? Here's what he says. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears, and David received peace. And that's what makes him a man after God's own heart. David was a sinner like all the rest of us, but he never went outside of networks looking for some other benefit package plan. When David was on the run because of Saul was seeking to take his life, and David was hiding amongst the Philistines, David and his men, they leave Ziklag, they, they go out on in this military campaign, and the Amalekites come to their city attack it, burn it with fire, take all their wives and their children away, the Amalekites do. And so when David and his men come back to that city, there it is, it's all burned. Their wives are gone, their children are gone. The Bible tells us that David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power in them to weep. So, so weeping is an, offering, is an option when we're suffering. Certainly, I weep plenty, and I still do, about the loss of my son. There's nothing wrong with that. But weeping cannot be the final answer, and if I'm weeping, it better be turning me right up to the Lord real quickly, because otherwise I'm going to be stuck in my suffering. I don't want to stay there. The scriptures read for our understanding about David in this time in his life that David was greatly distressed during this time in his life for the people spoke of stoning him because he was a leader. Look what he's done to them. So the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters that had been taken away. 
And see, that's all crying alone will do. It, it, it might relieve some pressure. I, and I, I, look, I try and be real sensitive here, but, you know, it's like it might try and relieve some pressure crying, but you're still grieved when you're done crying for the issues in your heart because they're left unsettled if in the midst of crying you don't go to the Lord. It doesn't say if you're suffering, let them cry. You can but it says to let him pray. you got to go to God. So what does David do amongst, amongst his men who are ready to kill him? Hey, rather than staying in that place of weeping with his men, the Bible says this about the man after God's own heart. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. See, he took his eyes off the earthly and looked up and called out to his Lord. And God not only brought peace and in the midst of chaos, God gave him a plan. They got all their stuff back. They got their wives and their children and their stuff back. And see, this benefit remains that if you will draw near to God, God is on record, he'll draw near to you. But he won't force you. But it's here. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then this perfect benefit is available to you 24-7, 365 days out of the year until you see Jesus face to face. But you need to act. You need to come. And that's what James is saying here. Are you suffering? Go to Jesus. Now, if Jesus is not your Lord, then this benefit, I'm sorry, it's not for you. But... If you will turn to Jesus because he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, and you believe that, and you truly want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you're tired of running your life, you want to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Bible guarantees, but as many as received Jesus, to them God gave the right to become children of God to all those who believe in his name. So God holds that relationship out to any today that is outside of a relationship with God. Because if I, if I am outside of a relationship with God, I, I don't get the benefits. And so if you're outside, tell him you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And remove yourself from the throne of your life and turn to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sin and be the master of your life. And then all of these privileges of being a child of God are yours. You can call out to him just like the rest of us. And so when I'm suffering, I can call out to him. And he hears me and he comforts me. Why? Because I'm his child and he's my dad. What child suffering in your own home would a dad sit there and say, well, actually today it probably would happen. Hey, suck it up, kid. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd run to them. What's the matter? Now, it might be just drama. <laughs> but you would run, you know, kids screaming. You would run. There's no parent that wouldn't. Well, how much more God who's perfect? When you call out, he's going to run. Don't miss out, team. Whatever you do, don't do this in your own strength. Be a child in need that comes to their father often and receive his peace in the midst of suffering. Benefit number two, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Please notice that God's word instructs us with the same plan of action for the suffering believer and the rejoicing one. Go to Jesus. And in doing so, the suffering will rejoice and the joyful will pray. Singing, it's, it's an important part of our worship of God. 
you know, and I'm stoked so many of us make it on time because you don't want to miss out on that. Many of the songs that we sing, they're actually expressions of our heart to God in prayer. Your name is like honey to my lips. You know, we sing that. Man, it comes, it, it, it should travel. Now, if it's just a, your name is like honey on my lips. Oh, I like that one. Oh, I don't like that one. Listen, as, as you sing, allow the word to travel in and out of your mind, drop it down into your heart, and do a bunch of work there, and then come out of your lips. That can all happen in like a nanosecond. To where as, as, as singing all of a sudden becomes this radical expression of your heart and of your mind and of your relationship with God. Your, your spirit's like water to my soul. Oh, yes, as you're singing. You can sing and think and allow all this to go on all at the same time. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Those are expressions of one's heart in singing, but also speaking to God in what you and I would call prayer. Oh, God, awesome in power. Oh, God, gentle in love. Oh, God, you are my God and I love you. That could be an expression of my heart in prayer, and yet it's a song that we sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Well, that sounds like a request. Because it is a request. And so as I sing that, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. That's a desire within my heart as I come asking, and yet it's done through singing. So when we combine these two benefits in the midst of suffering or rejoicing, praying and singing always causes me to refocus. That's what worship's about. It should be a daily reminder of where I would have been if Jesus hadn't saved me. That should get me fired up all over again. Remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16? They've been unjustly judged. They've been beaten. They're suffering. They're chained in the inner prison. It's the midnight hour. They are praying and singing. Well, how's that possible? Well, it's because it's the benefit package plan that God offers. And their lives and their actions of looking up to Jesus influenced the entire jail in Philippi. But they were actively doing the word of God. They were actively living out their relationship with Christ. Benefit number three, is anyone among you sick? First three words, you might want to circle those. Let him call. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. This is all on you. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We have oil. We have elders in testing. Dan, Elkin, and Mike. Danny's one. He's just kind of incognito in disguise. And, and honestly, we don't make a big deal out of this here because it reads, if you're sick, you call for it. I believe it's something that you have to initiate. Either here, or at home, or in the hospital. It's all of us, it's on all of us individually with great promise to all who call for the elders and ask. So why not ask? I don't know. Maybe you didn't know. Well, now you know. But if you knew and you've been sick before, then why not ask? See, not asking makes me independent again from my relationship with Jesus. Last year before my brain surgery, when I was at the pastor's conference in California, 
sought it out. Hey, will you anoint me and pray for me? I got this brain surgery. I did the same thing in the Philippines. And I stand here today because I believe this is true. See, I don't believe in a random chance team, but we all must simply allow the scriptures to simply speak for themselves today and then live them all out. And as we do, it's pretty straightforward and simple. But you know what? It takes faith in the God of the word to ask, which God gives us. We all have it. We all have faith. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. So please, lock this away in your heart the next time you're sick. Because my God is your God, and he's the creator of the universe. And if you tell me, look, I I believe God's going to heal me. I have no problem believing with you and asking God to do just that, anointing you with oil. Not praying, oh, Lord, if it's your will, uh ah. Not if you believe God's going to heal you. Lord, heal him right now. And thus it's praying, believing God to heal. God's a big boy. He can deal with the bad press if someone doesn't get healed. But many times in my life, it's like, okay, God, I've done my part. I've done what you wanted me to do. God, you better heal now. It's all on you. And you know, God can handle the negative pressure if it's there. But he's called us to simply live this out. Now, with all that being said, Jesus has given the church today limited power. When Jesus walked on this earth and the A-team was there with him, he gave them power, but it was the Greek word exosia power, the power of the king. That's why when you read about as the disciples went out, everyone was healed. Yeah, because they had exosia power. But just before Jesus ascended to the Father, he he said, look, wait in Jerusalem, and you're going to receive power. Greek word dunamis, not exosia. We get our word dynamite and dynamic from, but it wasn't the power of the king. It was a different word. So a limited Power, not an unlimited like exosia power. And I guess that's why some people are healed today and some aren't. So the faith teachers that say everyone should be healed, they're just wrong. Paul wasn't healed. But you know what? It should never stop us from asking, believing God to work. Because you know what? I don't know. You don't know what's in your father's heart to, that he's going to do until you do ask. And I ask because I know that God's grace is sufficient for me in my weakness if God chooses not to heal. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. You know. His grace will be sufficient for you. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, it says he pleaded with the Lord three times. He, Jesus, please, touch me, heal me. Jesus, now we don't know if it was minutes in between the asking, days, but it says three three times he pleaded with the Lord. And then Jesus spoke to him and said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So please, plead with the Lord until he answers. It says, no, my grace will be sufficient for you, or he touches you and heals you. I mean, I, I don't know how many times I stood and asked God to touch and heal my back. That's why we moved here. Someplace where it's hot. I was falling apart when I moved here. But five or six years after we were here at a pastor's conference, God touched me and healed me. Never quit asking. Don't give up. 
Be the widow that shows up at the unjust judge's headquarters and is begging him to give her justice. Don't give up. You know, there's so much we don't understand about healing. I'm fine with that. Our job is not to understand every detail of God, but our job simply is to do according to his word here, which is ask and believe. And look what happens. And the prayer of faith in Jesus will save the sick. That's our part in in this equation, that we ask in faith. Faith is always in another. Faith in Jesus and the Lord will raise them up. That's God's part. You know, we pray, and then we can rest and wait on the Lord to raise them up. It is a, this is a great benefit for the children of God. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Now, I don't know why James adds this in here with sickness and praying. I really have no idea. But I do know this. Every time you are sick is not a result of sin in your life like some teach in the church today. It could be because of your activity, but not always. If a person is sexually active outside of marriage today, there's plenty of diseases awaiting the man or woman seeking to roll the dice and take a chance on whether or not they're going to get one. And so sickness that has been brought on by some sin or sinful activity is always a possibility. But every time I am sick is not because I've sinned. There's really no biblical basis for that. You certainly can't tell me Paul was sinning when he was pleading with the Lord about the thorn in his flesh. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So their theology is a little messed up. Now, with all that being said, as we think about Pray, ask, go to God. He will heal if you've committed any sin. Hold your spot here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because this is the only thing I could think of, and, and nobody really that I looked at addresses it. So like, why do you... And I don't know why guys don't do that. It's like, look, it's here. So Paul is giving out instructions to the believers in Corinth about communion. And we pick up that lesson in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, because there is that acknowledgement of what Jesus has done for you, there's that acknowledgement that Jesus is coming back every time we hold that cup. That's why that therefore is therefore. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, not your neighbor, not your brother, not your sister, not your pastor, but let a man or a woman examine themselves. And so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And here's why, verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, that's a pretty broad word, team, Every Greek dictionary I looked up for unworthy manner said exactly the same thing. Unworthy manner. That's all it said. Unworthy manner. So I don't know what that is. Maybe you're deceived. Maybe it's unrepentant sin. Maybe you are the judge judging. I mean, whatever it is, you would know it. No one else does. But you do when you maybe continually blow off God's voice. Forever eats and in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning 
the Lord's body. For this reason, many. I, I've never seen the word many before. It jumped out on me on Friday. Many? For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That's dead. For if we had judged ourselves, we would not be judged. So it is possible that a follower of Jesus could purposely, knowingly be walking in disobedience to the Lord in some way, and that they are sick as a result of that. No, it's not a big thing, they might think. But team, if God is speaking to you about something, it's a big thing. Disobedience to God and not doing what we should be doing or doing something we should not be doing, it's a big thing to God. Even if it's a little thing and you know it, it's a big thing to God. And if you're sick, you know what? You might want to sit before the Lord and see if there's something that you need to do business with him before you partake of communion. Because, look, this is, it's here. You got, we can't just erase this stuff away because it's like, wow, that doesn't seem like a God of love. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira walked in. They were posers. They were posing as, as something that they weren't, and we all know what happened to them. God dropped them, and they buried them. So, you know, it's always good to sit before the Lord. Or when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, Lord, are we good? Is there, Lord, is there anything that I've missed that you've tried to been speaking to me about that I need to ask for forgiveness for? You, know, you, know, you, don't, have, you don't have to move away to a monastery up on a cliffside and ask. Just, just ask with an open, quiet heart before the Lord and then listen. Because, see, the invitation here is to come, eat, drink, and remember that Jesus is coming back. It's not to stay away. And so I don't know if that's what James has in mind here as we look back at James chapter 5. And if anyone has sinned, he'll be forgiven. I don't, I don't know why that's there in the midst of praying and, and sickness and suffering. Benefit number four, this requires humility. It's in verse 16 of James chapter 5. Confess your trespasses or faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Not might be, maybe. Both physically and spiritually. This is a great promise here. I mean, certainly this is a part of spiritual maturity in one's life. Now, this does not read, confess your trespasses to one another and talk about it. And then pray for one another that you may be healed. We want to make sure that our conversations and prayers stay Christ-centered and not problem-centered. Seems like today in the church that people want to keep their issues of life centered around their problem instead of centered around Jesus Christ. But he's the problem solver. And when you just keep them centered on the problem in doing so, well... You get bogged down in your problem and hopelessness creeps in as you're trying to control or manage your life. I just, I just don't see any real biblical basis for taking a problem-centered approach to the living out a victorious Christian life. You know, when we minister to one another, hey, we want to be a compassionate listener, but we want to point people to the Lord up in heaven 
or to his word and not just dwell on their problems or this issues on this life. So I, I want you to think when you're in spiritual conversations and, and, and someone's saying, hey, look, this is what's going on. Is it problem-centered or is it Christ-centered? You got to get them to Jesus. I, I, I don't see any place in the scriptures where, you know, it says go be problem-centered. There is one place, though, that I can think of in the scriptures where they're taking that problem-centered approach to trying to deal with life's issues. It's called the book of Job. And Job is there in his misery, and Job's friends show up, and they are trying to show him and place blame on him as to why he's in this miserable condition that he's in. It was all problem-centered. Look, you're this way because of that. You're this way because of that. But then God shows up and rebukes those guys. So there's really nothing good there. We, we see in the Psalms where people are pouring out their heart to God in prayer and asking the Lord for help. But I don't believe the whole problem-centered approach to victorious Christian living is in the Scriptures. Yet so much of counseling today, it focuses on the problem rather than on the problem solver. Or, or they try and blend the two. But when you blend the two, you weaken the effects of the blood and of the truth of God's word. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. See, the, the problems are on this earth. Oh, that's Jesus up there. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died. Well, that makes sense. Why do I want to set my focus on the problems? Because I'm dead. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if you died on this earth when you came to Christ, what would be the point of dwelling on my earthly problems? I've done a lot of marriage counseling. They come in, they want to talk about problems. And I give them five minutes. Here, here you go, five minutes. Really, you're going to time us? Yeah, five minutes, go ahead. Oh, time's up. No, 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 I'm finished. No, I told you five minutes. Okay, go ahead. And it's always the problems. Usually it's the other person's problems. And it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, see, that's the problem. See, if I'm married to the biggest jerk on the planet, and my relationship with Christ is right, oh, I can treat him as the king, or vice versa. But see, if we just deal with the problem, it never gets solved. Christ, oh, Jesus, he can heal it. He can solve it. He can fix it. So we confess our trespasses and our faults to one another. Not a priest. We have a mediator named Jesus Christ. So confess your faults to one another. It's going to require humility. Confession in this context removes hindrances to the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life and really allows God to work. So confess your trespasses, your sidesteps, your, you're missing the marks of perfection. You know, they're, you know, they're just, it's not like you've planned out, you know, I'm going to go out and get drunk. And No, these are just these little things. And we all have them. Probably two, maybe three. We all have them. Confess them to one another and pray for one another. Again, don't talk about them. It's not going to do any good. 
but pray for one another. Take it to God that you may be healed. I mean, this is such an incredible benefit that our Lord has given us, church. But it requires humility. The effective, fervent prayer, again, not talking. Talking keeps me in control. Praying keeps and puts God in control. It really allows God to work. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There is a great truth here for all of us to see. The word fervent means to be at work, where we want God's heart in the matter, and we work from that basis, pleading with God. But what does a righteous man look like? Well, righteous is a man that knows his righteousness comes from Jesus covering over his or her life. They don't have to go out and seek to achieve it or attain it. They, they receive it from Christ. And thus they seek to abide in him. And then just so there's no confusion of what this looks like, hey, James gives us a real-life illustration in the next two verses. The first thing he says is, in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. So you know what that means? It means he messed up sometimes. That's what it does. He was a man just like any one of us here who loves the Lord Jesus, but he also made mistakes. He had received the power of the Holy Ghost upon him, just like is available to each one of you when we ask. And God did use him to do incredible, crazy things. Well, things like this. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So we see here that Elijah's effectiveness of prayer even extended to the weather. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So that's just one man with a sinful nature like us, praying like you and me, believing he was asking for God's will to be done. That is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much. But he had his shortcomings. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenges with the, the people with the question, look, who are you going to serve? And so the short story is, they kill the 450 prophets of Baal. King Ahab's in that crowd as that's taken place. And King Ahab rides back to his wife in his chariot, and he tells his wife, honey, all of your prophets are dead. What? Yeah, Elijah had them all killed. And national reforms are taking place. Elijah's stoked. People are turning back to God. God is good. God is, life is sweet. But Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she is not happy. So she, in turn, sends a messenger to Elijah saying this, so let the gods do so so let the gods do to me, that would be the ones that have just been executed. So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of those dead prophets by this time tomorrow. You know, Elijah should have said, whatever. <laughs> your gods are a bunch of phony, blowny statues and then went to the bucks and had a coffee. But that's not what he did. He's just had this incredible moment watching God work, watching God move. National reform is going down. And when Elijah heard that threat, because he has a nature just like ours, one woman threatening him, he runs. 
And he runs and he runs and he runs for 40 days and nights. He runs. Well, why? Well, because he was a man with a nature just like ours. He had his awesome moments with God, and then he's running for his life at times. He's just like all of mankind. No one is or ever will be perfect. Amen, if you believe that. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> I mean, we need to know that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, there is only one benefit package plan available to all. God doesn't have one benefit plan for pastors, and if you've been a Christian for five years, you get this benefit plan. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, you get this benefit plan. No, you and I have the same benefit plan that was available to Elijah in the Old Testament and Peter, Paul, and Mary in the New Testament. Same plan. And that's why James is telling us, hey, if we're sick or struggling in our flesh or, or looking for some water, we should pray and Get others to pray with us. And in doing so, the Father of us all will answer and come through. And it's guaranteed by God himself that we read of in his word. Final benefit, number five. I'm glad this is here. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, hey, you go to them out of love for them. It's not to judge. It's to restore. But it's not even restore. It's because you love them, you go to them, and you pray with them. You show them in God's word where they've taken a detour in their walk with God. Let him or her know that he who turns the sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitudes of sin. This is a command. It doesn't happen in the church today, but it's a command. I mean, there is certainly a sin that leads to death today. But as sinners repent because someone cared enough to go to them, I am so thankful for those people in my life that care enough to come to me. And then a multitude of sins are then covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. Now, you need to know, there are some people who don't want to turn away from their sins. You just don't know until you go. They've wandered from the truth. They like it. But you know what, team? That should never stop us from living out God's word here as we love people. You, you may have the greatest intentions, the most compassionate heart, and some people may just say, look, you're judging me, man. Hey, but you know it's not true. You're just seeking to be obedient to the scriptures here because you care. You know, and as I was thinking this down, I, it's like, Lord, why do we do this? Lord, you got the Holy Spirit. Just go convict him. God, couldn't you do a better job at this? He could. But God uses human instruments in turning people back who have wandered, and in doing so, it brings him more glory as he works through us. That's why he's chosen to use us. And that's what we want to be about here. Doing all the scriptures. Not picking and choosing what we want to do and what we want to exclude. But just allowing all of the word to wash over our lives as we daily receive all of the benefits that the Lord has for us. Because there's so many. But then we don't want to just keep those benefits. 
we in turn want to use those benefits to bless others that Jesus might be glorified in Jesus' name. Father, we're so thankful for all that you want to do in us and through us. And so 